How many of you have ever been lost? Let me, let me see your hand. How many of you have ever been lost? And, and not many guys are raising their hand, and there's a, you know, there's a reason behind that. But have you, ever, have you ever been completely turned around to where you thought you were going one way, and then you've realized later on you were actually going the opposite direction? Has that ever happened to anybody? You know, and you end up uh, like two hours down the road the wrong direction, and so you add all this time to your trip. I, I have. I've been lost, and, and I hate to admit that as a guy and a and, and uh, if I want my wife to know that I was lost, I will tell her. You don't need to tell her that. I can't admit that to her. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I've discovered something about being lost. Uh, there are three levels of lostness. There are three levels. The first level is when you're lost, but you don't know it. I mean, you've been the times when you thought you knew where you were and you find out you weren't. You're lost, but you don't realize it. You're, you're just completely clueless about your condition. And the, the second level is where you're lost and you know it, but your pride won't let you admit it to yourself or anybody else. This is where a lot of us guys get hung up. You know, uh, the third level is when you're lost, but you're finally honest about it and you go, you know, I'm lost and I'm going to go ask for directions. And now women tend to do that much more quickly than, than men do because guys we have a hard time. I don't know what it is in us. We have a hard time asking directions because we're like, I'm not lost. I know generally where we are. Anybody, anybody ever heard that line before? Yeah, I know generally where we are. Oh, as long as we move toward the setting sun, we'll be okay. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, uh, but one thing I'm sure about today is that when you get a group of people together of, of any size whatsoever, there are always going to be people in that crowd that are lost, not in a physical sense, but in a much deeper, more comprehensive way. There, there are some of you today that are probably a little lost in life. You, you don't know what this thing that we call life is, is all about. There are people who are hearing my voice today, both in this place and on the live stream that are, that are lost in a spiritual sense. I mean, you may be a very spiritual person. That's a very popular term we use nowadays, but, but there's a even with that, there's this real sense of aimless wandering in your life. You're thinking, am I really going anywhere? Does this life matter for anything? And some of you are lost, but you don't really know you're lost. Others are lost, and you're telling yourself, well, I, I know something's off, but I'm just not going to admit it. And some are lost and looking for direction. They know they're lost, and they're looking for direction and and meaning in life. And you're asking God, is there, is there a destination? Is there a focus for my life? Well, you know, I believe God has placed in all of our lives a, a GPS system, so to speak. We all know when we're lost. There's something deep down inside that tells us we're lost, even whether we pay attention to it or not, or whether we dismiss it or not is a different matter. But there's, but we know when there's something missing in our life, that, that, that life as we're, as we're living it just carries no meaning. Well, today I, I want to unpack this idea of lostness and I want to relate lo lostness to a seemingly unrelated subject. I want to relate lostness to justice. And on the surface, you hear that and you think justice and lostness, they don't seem to have anything uh, in common. They don't seem to be related at all. They don't, they don't have anything to do with each other. But when you really examine them, you see how connected they really are. The concept of lostness is ultimately connected to our need for justice. We're lost, and because of our lostness, God did something. 
And that something that God did is all about justice. And this whole justice thing culminates in what happened on the day that we call Easter. So today I want to trace uh, God's roadmap, if you will, a roadmap that will guide you to a destination that's critical for us. I want to start by saying this. Somewhere deep in every person's soul is the mentality that there must be consequences for immoral behavior. For example, when someone commits a crime, when someone blatantly violates the law, there's something inside of us as human beings that says somebody's got to pay. You ever been there? You ever had somebody do something wrong to you and you had this thing rise up inside of you that says somebody's got to pay? You know what I mean? Think about when the, uh, the planes with the terrorists tore into the World Trade Center towers on that horrific day, believe it or not, nearly 21 years ago. What did you say? You said, along with almost every other American, you said somebody's got to pay. You know, when, when Americans were killed and their bodies were dragged through the streets of Iraq, what did we say? We said, somebody's got a pet. When, when a child is abducted and murdered and horrible things are done, we have this thing in us that says, somebody's got to pay for that. A person who commits horrible acts, you know, they just can't say, uh, you know, when somebody kills a child, they can't say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, my bad, excuse me. Sorry about that. Oops, I did it again. You know, we don't get to it. That's just the way I am. That, that just doesn't satisfy our cry for justice, does it? That doesn't get the job done. When a crime is committed, somebody has got to pay. But here's the interesting thing about this. Animals don't have that concept. You know, I've never seen a dog that witnessed another animal biting or injuring another, another dog that, that just declared, somebody's got to pay. Or I, mean, I guess it'd be, somebody's got to pay. <laughs> as Scooby says, you know, I guess how, that's how they say, I'm sorry. Sometimes I just don't have a check. But, but, but here's the thing, o only humans, only humans have this somebody's got to pay attitude. Only humans care about justice. Dogs don't, cats don't. No other creature in all of creation cares about justice. And that's really funny when I talk to someone who, who is an atheist, for example, because they, they, they can't come up with a plausible explanation regarding why we as humans, as part of nature, why we have this somebody's got to pay mentality, where, why we care about justice. Why does that matter? And this is not a 21st, just a 21st century thing. You can study down through history and every tribe, every culture, and every people group, and, and, and every one of them has devised some sort of a system that makes guilty parties pay for wrongdoings. In some cultures, like ours, you, you know, often you commit a crime, you pay a fine. In other cultures, you, you know, you're, uh, you're thrown into prison or something. In some cultures, you steal something, you get your hand chopped off. Suddenly, suddenly paying a fine doesn't sound so bad, does it? Uh, in, in many cultures, if your crime is heinous enough, there's the ultimate price to pay and the death penalty. And, 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 and let's just face it. We are a somebody's got to pay species. We have, and what I'm going to call it, we have an atonement awareness that runs deep into who we are as human beings. We have an atonement awareness, an awareness that somebody 
has to pay when wrong is done. Now here's the question. Why? Why do we have this atonement awareness in our hearts? Why do we have this somebody's got to pay mentality? Where does it come from? Where do we as human beings get this somebody's got to pay outlook on life? I I would suggest to you that our atonement awareness comes from God. We're we're made in the image of God and the concept of atonement is is intrinsically woven into the very fabric of who God is. You see, here's the thing. God is, we, we all love in our culture. We have, we, everybody says God is love. And we love that as right out of 1 John. We're going through a study of the book of 1 John on Wednesday nights right now. And, and so he makes it, he talks a lot about that, that God is love. And we love that. And, and it's absolutely true that God is love. But on the other hand, he's not just full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. The other hand, the other side of that is that God is a God of justice. He's holy and he's pure. And that means that God can't simply ignore sin. You know, God can't say, well, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. No big deal. No problem. Because God is a holy God, because he is a God of justice, sin must have a payment. See, and if we, if there is no payment, then there's no justice. And that means that God is not a just God. So there has to be a payment. And that brings us to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. You know, one of the uh, one of my family's favorite things to do is we love to go to the movies. Anybody here, you're moviegoers, you like to go to movies? You know, we, we, we love to go. We can't afford to go much anymore, you know, especially if you're going to get popcorn. Uh, we used to have three children. I had to trade one of them for popcorn one time at a movie theater. <laughs> but, and, you know, we always, we always, when we go to the movie theater, we always try to arrive early. So that we have time to get our snacks, you know, and get our uh, whatever we're going to have and, and get settled into our seats. But we want to do it early. Why is that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Why? Because you don't want to miss the previews, right? Anybody here? You love the previews? I, all right. I just want to make sure I'm talking to the right people here. It's one of the most important parts of going to the movie theater. The movie's great. And that's obviously the main reason. But but man, I hate it if I don't, if I get there late and I miss the previews there. And those previews, they're basically teasers. They're, they're highlights. Uh, they're, they're excerpts out of future films. What I found is that when they advertise, just tell me if I'm wrong on this. When they advertise a comedy, they put every funny line in the movie, in the preview, so that when you go to watch it, you already know everything that's funny about the whole movie. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But, but you have these, these, these teasers to get you thinking about what's to come, you know, coming this summer, coming to a theater near you, you know, that sort, sort of thing. And then, you know, and the women are watching and they're like, oh, I got to go see that one. That's Brad Pitt. He's, we got to go see Brad. And the guys, we're not like that. We're, we're like, we see a chase scene or something gets blown up and we're like, must see movie, blow up car. You know, <laughs> that's how we are. But, but, but here's the thing. You say, why are you talking about this? It's because God is all about sneak previews. And, and, and because of our lostness and because of his justice and his love, what God does, he gives us in the pages of scripture, sneak preview after sneak preview after sneak preview, pointing to the ultimate fulfillment of this somebody's got to pay mentality. 
It's as if you're looking down a road, a red road, that points you to the ultimate destination. For example, in Genesis 2.16, God tells Adam, he said, and the Lord God commanded the man, that's Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So he's already from the very beginning here giving us a preview that justice must be carried out, that somebody's got to pay. See, God gave man the, the high risk gift of free will, but with that freedom of choice came the high cost principle of atonement. In other words, man had a freedom of choice, but his choice to do wrong, to disobey God, requires a payment of some kind. So we had the high risk gift from God of freedom of choice, but along with that gift is the high cost principle of atonement. And that's what God was telling Adam and Eve in this verse. He's saying, Adam, I love you. I, I, I know you love me. You are free to, to either be obedient or not to be obedient. But I need you to know that if you rebel against me, if you don't obey what I'm telling you to do, then, then you're going to have to pay a heavy price and you're going to have to pay for your own sins. And that's what this verse means. If you sin, you're going to die. You will have to pay for your own sins. You will have to atone for your own sins. What, what did Adam and Eve do? Well, you know the story as well as I do. Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled. And God, a, a, as a, a, because he's a just God, a, a, therefore sin must have a payment. Somebody had to pay. And this is where the plot thickens. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened, that's after they sinned, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings from themselves. Now, I just want to say this, this is very interesting. The word coverings in the Hebrew is pronounced hedo. It's where we get the word speedo from. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just making that up. I just want to make sure you're listening. <laughs> it's not a real Hebrew word or anything. I just wanted to have some fun with it. I'm just teasing. But uh, just make sure you're still with me here. <laughs> Some of you now have images of Speedos dancing in your head. And for that, I apologize. I apologize. But um, God did, however, say something very important to Adam and Eve. He said, because of your sin, there are going to be some consequences. I'm a holy and a just God, and I made you in my image. You blew your opportunity, and because of that, that, of that sin... It's going to make everything on earth go sideways. You look at the world and you think the world is out of control. You think the world is messed up. It all started right here. The whole world, he said, is going to go sideways because of what you did here today, Adam and Eve. All creation is going to get thrown out of rhythm. All of creation is just going to be broken. It's just not going to be right. So when you see somebody that you know that is a good person and they suffer from cancer or something bad happens to them, it's because we're in this broken world created by our own sin. So all creation in this moment is sitting on the edge of the seat waiting to see what God would do with Adam and Eve. Would, would a lightning bolt just fry them right on the spot? Or, or would he look at them and say, okay, Adam and Eve, no worry. You know, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. I'll just let this sin slide. I'll just kind of wink at this wrongdoing. No big deal. 
But the thing is, all sin is serious because it's against God. And, and God, as I said, He can't just let people off any more than a judge can just set everyone free who's broken the law. If, if somebody committed a crime against you and the judge uh, had that person in their courtroom and, and, and he said, you know what, I just want to have mercy. I'm going to choose mercy today. You are free to go. You would be screaming out because you'd say, there's no justice in that. You can't just ignore sin. You can't just pretend it's not there because if that were the case, there's no justice in that. And therefore, you could come to the conclusion that God is not a just God because He's just playing by arbitrary, arbitrary rules. So I, I want you to see the dilemma here. Because of His holiness... God cannot just gloss over sin or He can't just suspend the sentence. Yet at the same time, He's also a God of love. He is full of tenderness and, and mercy and grace. And, and the reality is these two human beings, Adam and Eve, they really matter to Him. He cares for them deeply. So well, you, do you know what God does? He does something very unique. One would think because of His holiness and justice that He would just wipe them out, you know, just nuke them. Call down lightning from the sky. That's what you would think. But you know what God does? Instead, He provides another way for sin to be dealt with. He provides an alternate route, another path, another road. God does something that probably took the breath of all creation away. Let us see. Genesis 3.21 is a verse that a lot of us have read before, but most of us, we miss the significance of it. It's, it's the first sneak preview of God's future plan that we celebrate every Easter. Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You're saying, that's it? That's it, Pastor Dave? That God's a tailor? That's what you want me to know? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's much deeper than that. See, Adam and Eve had never seen death before. Put yourself in their, in their sandals for a moment. They had never seen blood soak into the soil of the garden. And God killed these animals and, the, and, the, and He skinned those animals and He covered their nakedness. God in this moment is introducing the essence of Christianity. And that is, I'm going to use some big words, but it's very simple. The essence of Christianity is substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement is an arrangement for an innocent third party to stand in the place of a guilty party to take the penalty for their sin, thereby satisfying the demands of justice and allowing the guilty party to go free. And that's what happened right there. God could have said to Adam, Adam, Eve, you, you've got to pay for your own sins, but instead he pro provided another way for payment to be made. And an animal had to die in their place. Now, now go to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, they were being held, held captive by the Egyptians who were living in rebellion towards God. And 
God's patience was being pushed to the breaking point and Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians, kept saying, no, no, I'm not going to release them. No, I'm not going to release them. I'm going to keep them as slaves. And, and, and one day God announced, announces to Pharaoh he's going to bring the ultimate judgment on, this, on the nation. And he announces that an angel of death is going to circulate on a certain night and he's going to take the life of every firstborn male in every household, both human and animal. So it was, if it was a cow and it was the firstborn cow, male cow, bull, I guess it would be, uh, I'll get it right here, uh, that, that's going to die. If it's a firstborn human son, it's going to die. If, if a father was the firstborn of his family, even if he had these other children, he's going to die, the firstborn, of every ho- firstborn male of every household. And then, then he tells them, he tells the Israelites, he says that if they kill an unblemished male lamb and they sprinkle its blood, on the doorframe of their homes, then the angel of death would pass over them. That's why the Jewish people celebrate Passover, because it's remembering that the angel passed over their houses when the blood covered them. Some people ignored the directive. Some people just blew it off. Some people said, what's up with that? I mean, many did did not take the steps. Some did not follow the directions, but, but every household who sprinkled the blood of the lamb on the doorpost was spared judgment. Do you see the foreshadowing here? Do you see the sneak preview? In fact, you know, did you know that m- many scholars believe that the blood was spread on the top and the sides? Where we know it was spread on the top and the sides of the doorframe, but when you look at that, it's like the sign of the cross. It's a sneak preview. You see this? It's a sneak preview of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus that an innocent one would take our place to take our punishment so that we could go free. Go go back to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus describes the sacrificial system. And when a person sinned, especially egregiously, an, uh, an innocent lamb would be slain, and only after the death of the lamb would the priest come to the guilty sinner and give the assurance that his sin was paid for. Think about this. Tens of thousands of innocent animals were being slain in every city, in every town, in every village. And people knew as they walked away from that, that temple, from the, wherever the sacrifice was made, uh, they knew as they walked away from the dying animal that an innocent party had to die because of their sins. And then once a year, sacrifices were made for the sins of the entire nation. And the, the, the Hebrew uses this word atone. It means to cover. You remember what God did with Adam and Eve, he, the animal died and he skinned them so that he could cover their nakedness. That's the same idea between, behind the word atone. The, the Old Testament sacrifices that, were, that we read about, they could not remove sins. They couldn't do that. They could only cover the sins can only hide them. The, the blood of animals could cover sin, but, but it could not make anybody righteous. It couldn't take away their sin. It could cover it. But you know, let me, let me just take a little survey. How many of you have ever told a lie? All right. And everybody didn't raise your hand. You just told another one, right? <laughs> That's how it works. But, but, but here's the problem. With the Old Testament, those sacrifices, it could cover the sin, but it could never, ever remove the guilt of the fact that you actually were a liar. Can't change that. So they had to, because of that, they had to do these sacrifices over and over and over again because 
when I, my sins are covered, if I sin again, well, I'm going to have to cover it up again. So on the day of atonement, the people confessed their sins as a nation and the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for them. And on this day of atonement, the high priest would take a goat into the tabernacle and kill it to, and to cover the sins of the people. And then they would take a second goat, which by the way was called the scapegoat, and he would lead it 12 miles out into the wilderness and then release it. And that scapegoat represented that the guilt from the sins was gone. It was carried away. Do you see the foreshadowing? Do you see the sneak preview here? Do you see the red road paved with blood? Do you see where all of this is heading? Let's push the clock forward several hundred years and, and think about a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah, this guy, he was a prophet. He was a really wild guy. I mean, Isaiah started talking about some very unusual things. He started talking about things that made people's heads spin because he started talking about, he started insinuating that God was going to send a human being to atone for the sins of the world. And this human being was going to do that one time, once for all. And this human being was going to be so powerful, so amazing that his sacrifice would reach all the way back to the beginning of time and to the present and to the future. Well, let me just allow Isaiah to tell you, here's what he said. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He? He? You, you mean a person? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Both of those words are big words for sin. The punishment that brought us peace was uh, brought uh, the, that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now remember, animal sacrifices could not make people righteous. They could only cover sin. And that's why they had to do the sacrifices over and over and over and over again. But Isaiah says, he says, this someone is going to come and he's going to do it once and for all. Once and for all. Enter Jesus. He walks up to John the Baptist over in the New Testament, and here's what John said about Jesus. John said, look, the Lamb of God, who, say it with me, takes away the sin of the world. John said, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one who can take away all of our sin. Why is that so significant? You see, atonement up until this time had to do with covering sin. But now John is saying that Jesus will not only cover our sin, but he'll go beyond that because he's going to take it away from us. Let's read some more. When, when Christ kicked off his teaching ministry at 30 years old, he said this in Mark 10, 45. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus do? He lived a sinless life and he died a sacrificial death. Here's, here's the essence of it. On the cross, God treated Jesus like he, like he was you and me so that he could turn around and treat you and me like we were Jesus. I hope, I hope you didn't miss that. I'm going to say it again. On the cross, God treated Jesus like he was you and me so that he could turn around and treat you and me like we were Jesus. Jesus took the punishment that I should have had. I received the righteousness that he had. And God treats me like I'm righteous. 
Dave, what are you implying? Well, the Bible says that when a person gives their life over to Christ, then that person's sins are forgiven because Christ already paid the price. He said, it is finished. He died on the cross for our past, our present, our future sins. He conquered the grave by rising again. His blood has the power to cleanse us. Even when we sin again, we don't have to have a new sacrifice. We can go to him like 1 John 1, 9 says, and we can confess our sin to him, and he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sin and uh, to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He died on our cross. Our sins are forgiven. And, and, and you know what? There's a lot of Christians that are running around reveling in the fact that their sins are forgiving. And that's an amazing thing. I mean, uh, how many of you have seen the, the movie that came out years ago? The, uh, the Passion of the Christ. You remember that one? And by Mel Gibson, he put that out. And we, we see that and we marvel at the suffering and the pain that Jesus went through for my sin. And we're right in doing that. But you know what? Forgiveness is only half of the gospel. It's half the gospel. If, if that's all you know, you, you should be very grateful for that, but you're missing the second half. And, and if you don't, if that's all you know, then you don't really know who you are in Christ. Because there's another half that most people don't talk about. Think about this. If sinlessness was all that God needed for Christ to die on the cross for our sins, then Christ could have died for us when he was two. Anytime he could have. He didn't. Yet he was sinless, but there was something else. Remember, God is a God of justice. God can't ignore wrongdoing. He can't sweep our crimes under some sort of cosmic rug. Sin must have a punishment. We cannot fulfill the law. Nobody here has ever kept the law perfectly your whole life. We're not perfect. What did Jesus do? Here's the second half of the gospel. Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. You see, he couldn't have done that if he had, if he had died for our sins at two years of age, but he lived and he lived a, a, to an adult age because he needed to obey the will of the Father. He was 100% righteous. So here's the thing. When we give ourselves over to Christ, we have forgiveness. And check this out. And, and the righteousness of Christ is then wired into our accounts. When you, when you face God, let me ask you this. When you face God, which we all will, do you want to stand on your record of obedience or on Christ's record of obedience? I, I know which one I want to choose. I can't stand on my own. I mean, if I had to pay for my, for my own sins, I'm just here to tell you I'm going straight to hell because I'm not perfect. I'm a moral foul up. I'm a sinner and so are you. But God, in His love and grace, provided another way, an alternative, another route. It's the red road of redemption and atonement paid ultimately by the blood of Jesus. The resurrection that we celebrate today is the evidence, it's the declaration of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's because of His sinlessness and also His righteousness. And when I receive that, when God... When I receive what Christ has done for me, when God looks at me, He doesn't see Dave Hoskins' moral foul-up. Instead, He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Do you see how rich we are in Christ? That it's not just that we're forgiven, but that we are made righteous even though we're not. 
You know, here's what I'm going to close with. You know, I, I before this week, I did some checking. I did checked on some stats. And I really like statistics. That's why I love baseball, you know, because it's statistics driven, that sort of thing. But I checked the stats on death. Uh, right, as a matter of fact, I checked it right before service. And uh, here's what I found. Uh, the stats are still hovering right at 100%. <laughs> one out of every one person who's ever born dies. We're all going to die. We're all going to clock out. The Bible says that one day we're going to stand before a holy God. And that moment, there'll be no deal cutting. There's no arguing about whether you are or whether you're not a sinner because we're all sinners. We all know it. The issue is not whether or not when we stand before him, whether we are sinners. The, the issue is how is your sin going to be paid for? Because mark my word, justice will be served. Justice demands a payment. Sin demands a price. And the question is, in that moment when you stand before God, are you planning on paying for your own sin? Are you planning on, on standing in your own obedience, on your own track record? Or are you going to stand on Christ's record of obedience and plead the blood of Christ that paid for your penalty, paid the penalty for your sin? You're going to stand there and say, oh, listen, you should let me in, Jesus. I mean, I work with Meals on Wheels, but, you know, back during Thanksgiving that year, and I gave the United Way and... Sometimes I even threw a bone in the offering plate once in a while. I mean, I'm a lot better than most people. I'm, I'm a good guy. I kept my nose clean. I paid my tax taxes. I, I'm honest, you know. Yay! I, I, I grew up AG. Well, good for you. You know, I grew up Baptist. Well, wonderful. I grew up Catholic or Lutheran or Baptist. Listen, here's the truth. That's not going to get you where you want to go. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't carry any weight with God whatsoever. If that's what you're counting on, if you're, if you think I'm just going to make sure all my good deeds outweigh all my bad deeds, you're missing the point altogether because it's not about your good deeds. The problem is you can't remove your bad stuff. And that stuff is not going to be allowed into the presence of a holy God. There's only one way to deal with that. It's only the, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who can take away your sin. The deal is that God's standard is perfection. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Only Christ was perfect. And he offered the perfect sacrifice for us. But, but here's the thing. I can't accept his sacrifice for you. I can only do it for me. I can just tell you what the Bible says. With this high-risk gift of freedom of choice comes the high-cost principle of atonement that if we sin, somebody's going to pay. And some of you right now, you're realizing that you're lost. You know it, and you may be acting like you don't know it, but the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now, and you're... And you're trying to think about anything else but that. You're thinking about what we can have for lunch. You're thinking about the egg hunt coming up later. You're think, trying to think about everything else or anything else in the world. But let, let me tell you something, that, that little nagging thing in your heart, that's God speaking to you. And I just encourage you to listen to Him and follow what He has for your life. And I, I know how tempting it is when God is dealing with this to change the channel in our mind and just say, let me just ignore this. I don't need to hear this. It's Easter weekend, blah, 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 blah. I just want to go home. I want to have the egg hunt. I want to eat our marshmallow bunnies. Give me some chocolate. You know, that's all we think about. That, and that's great. All those things are wonderful. There's nothing wrong with those things. 
But right now, I'm telling you that the consequences are too high for you to just blow him off. The choice is yours. Basically, we have two roads that we can take. We can pay for our own sin in a a place of eternal regret and remorse. Or we can take the second road, the red road of atonement. Take the road that Jesus made, the one where he removes our sin, where he gives us his righteousness, where he took our penalty and paid the price. And that justice is, is, is fulfilled. And his love is fulfilled. And his grace is fulfilled. All of it at one time. So the question is, which road are you on? There's only one road that leads to eternal life and to peace and to freedom. I'm here to tell you that road is red. Stained blood red with the blood of Jesus. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you for bringing us here together today. I thank you that I don't have to pay the penalty for my sin. But in fulfilling your justice, you took that, Jesus, you took that punishment upon yourself and you said, I'll pay it. Therefore, you are still completely holy, completely just. You're true to yourself. And yet you're also a God of love. And by doing that for me, you are fully yourself. And Lord, I pray that today as we are here in your presence, that you would just talk to us, God. We, I, know, I just know, God, that you're just tugging away at somebody's heart. And there are those here today that won't admit that they're lost. But I also know, God, that there's some here today that they know they're lost and they're asking questions. And I pray that today, God, they would just look to you and they would let Jesus fill that emptiness in their life. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around, we're almost done. I want to know if there's anybody here today who would say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me because I'm lost. I'm lost and I need, I need Jesus. I need to put my trust in Him. I don't want to pay my, my own penalty for my sin. I, I want to receive what He did for me. I want to do that today. You can walk out of this room absolutely certain that you are a follower of Jesus and that you are on your way to heaven and that if you stood before Him today, you could stand there confidently because you're not standing in your own goodness, but you're standing in the goodness of and the mercy and the sacrifice of Christ. If there's anybody here to say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me today. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want to know if that's you so I can pray with you. Yes, yes, thank you. Let me put your hand right back down. Yes, thank you. Is there anybody else? Here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask everybody to say this prayer out loud because we had at least two people that I saw, and there may have been others. I don't know. Whether you raise your hand or not, if you're sincere when you pray this, that's what matters. But I want everybody to pray this because that'll help encourage those that are, that are praying today. Would you do that? So everybody, just repeat this prayer with me. Would you say this? And, and, and I just want to say, it's no magic words here. It's not about saying the right things. This is just simply about you and your heart surrendering to Jesus and you saying, Lord, 
I've been doing it my way. Now I'm ready to do it your way. And you ask him to forgive you. And you ask him to come in and and become Lord of your life. So everybody just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, pray it nice and loud. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I am lost. And I've been trying to do things my own way. But it's not working. I need Jesus. Would you forgive me of my sin? I accept the sacrifice paid for me on the cross. I believe that you rose again from the dead on the third day. And I believe you have the power to save. So I turn my life over to you. I ask you not just to be my Savior, but to be my Lord. Take control of my life. Help me to live for you the rest of my life. Change me, God. And help me to live with confidence. Knowing that when I stand before you, I don't have to pay for my own sins. Because Jesus already did. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.